what last, um, the, the last passage was about. And don't worry, I'm not going to go through the whole sermon. I, but I do want to highlight one particular thing. And that is, you'll, you'll recall that um, Paul and Barnabas, um, so just by way of review, Paul and Barnabas had, um, were on their ver- the very first missionary trip. And um, they had um, traveled. There we go. So they had traveled from Antioch. Remember, the Holy Spirit set them aside. And they sailed down here to Cyprus and then at Paphos. And Sergius Paulus becomes a Christian. And then they sailed up here to Perga. And now they're up here in Pisidian Antioch, up in the mountains of Pisidian Antioch. And they went to a synagogue. And Paul we have Paul's first recorded sermon. So it's probably good to re- remind ourselves of what did Paul preach. In fact, you'll need to get this because it's going to impact a lot of what we deal with today. So let me remind you of Paul's sermon in, on the synagogue there, at the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. And Paul reminds the people, he begins his sermon um, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. So he goes all the way back and he says, listen, God chose our fathers. And then he delivered our forefathers out of the land of Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt. They could not save themselves. And so God did for them what they could not do for themselves. And he delivered them out of Egypt by a mighty hand. And he brought them into the land of promise. And in the land of promise, they forsook God. And so God gave them judges. And those judges, um, basically they were oppressed. And so God would raise up a judge. And as soon as the judge delivered them, they fell back into their sins. In other words, they again, they could not save themselves. And then God gave them a king. Actually, he points out two kings. God gave them Saul. He was a mess. And then God gave them David. And even David failed. So your kings can't deliver you. You can't save yourself. Your kings can't save yourself. And then he fast forwards. And then God brought forth to you Jesus. I think they were getting to the heart of the issue. God brought forth Jesus. And what was their reaction? You heard him and you did not recognize him. And then he kind of puts a little dig in in there, even though the prophets speak, even though you read the prophets every week about him. Every week you're, you're told about this Messiah who would come and you didn't recognize him when he showed up and you put him to death. So God showed you that you can't save yourself. God raises up Jesus. You didn't recognize him. You killed him. But God raised him from the dead and declared to you and proved to you that he is the Son of God and that he now delivers you and frees you from everything that the law could not do. The law, um, as good as it is, we, we, we know that the law is good when it is used lawfully. What the law can do is it points out our shortcomings, our failures, our sins, but it can't do anything to fix our sins. So what the law could not do, Jesus the Son of God, risen from the dead, does. In Him, you are justified. That is declared not guilty, acquitted before a holy God. That's what Jesus did. And then He calls them. He says, so you ought to listen to this. And you ought to respond positively. Don't forsake what I'm saying. So, 
From the beginning, God's decree was to save a people through the person of Jesus Christ. Nobody else can save, but when Christ appeared, instead of obeying him, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead and declared him the son of God with power. That's Paul's basic message. You can go back and that's on sermon.net if you want to listen to it. That's what Paul's basic message is. That's where we were. Let me just give you a quick idea of where I hope to go today. What we're going to see today is perhaps a response, uh, a response to that gospel message. How did the people who heard that message then respond? We're going to hear two. We're going to see at least two responses, a positive and negative. I know I'm kind of giving away the the message, but um, there's going to be not everybody is thrilled with Paul's message. So there'll be a negative uh, uh, response as well as a positive response. And then also one of the things we're going to see is a strengthening of the command to Take the gospel into all the world, into the ends of the earth. Remember, Jesus, after he ascended, um, um, sorry, just before Jesus ascended, he said this, I'm going away. It's not for you to know the times or the epochs, but you will be filled with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and also to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are at that part in the book of Acts, going to the uttermost parts of the earth. We've already seen the gospel go to Jerusalem, to, Jeru- to Judea, to Samaria, and now we're entering into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we're going to see a strengthening to that commitment. So these will be a couple of areas that, that we'll go to today. I'll probably add a few other little things in there, but that's, that's the goal. All right, are we caught up? Ready to go? Ready to move forward? Let's read our text. Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 52. Listen to God's inerrant word. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after meeting, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, quote, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of the feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is God's word. Well, let's begin. We'll note that the people are gathered to hear the word of the Lord. It says, as they went, our text begins with, um, as they went out, as they went out of what? As they went out of the synagogue, um, the people, uh, the attendees, those who were in the synagogue hearing, they begged to hear more. It says, when they heard this, what did they hear? Begged that these things might be told to them. I'm sorry. And they went out and begged that these things, what things? 
We want to hear that gospel message again. We want to hear that thing about how God from the beginning chose a certain people and brought forth the Messiah and that we can be forgiven of our sins. Tell us again, Paul. Get together next Sabbath and tell us that message again. They are, some of these people, there are some Jews here, there are also some Gentiles here. They've heard about God before, but they've not heard this message. They had not heard the message that a person could be acquitted before a holy God as a gift from God, paid for by God. What they had heard is, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. and I've got, I'm going to sacrifice this ram, this bull, this goat. I'm going to say these particular prayers. I'm going to celebrate this holy day and I'm going to observe this dietary restriction. And oh yeah, I need to get circumcised. That's what we've heard. Paul comes in and is talking about you Gentiles can be forgiven of your sins, not through observance of those practices, but by faith alone, through grace alone, on the merits of Christ alone. They're saying, tell us again, we want to hear that some more. This is um, how things are. We haven't heard that message before. And uh, let me just add this. I pray that we never grow tired of that message. I pray we never grow tired of that message. Growing weary of the, the gospel message. Folks, we have been saved by grace through faith. I pray that daily we remind ourselves of it. Remember, the gospel is not just for unbelievers. The gospel is for you and for me every single day to remind ourselves of where we've been, how we've been saved, and what God has promised for us. That will give you strength. It will encourage you. It will help you in your, in your daily walk as you're dealing with unbelievers unruly bosses and, you know, incompetent leaders. And it's like, wait a second. I've been called by a holy God who has delivered me from my sins. I pray we never forget that message that God declared me innocent of crimes against him by his grace. And now he's conforming me into the image of his son by grace. And one day I will enter his presence by grace. Oh, man. So they're like, let's hear it again. I pray every Sunday we gather together and we hear that message again. Well, our text says that um, the very next, um, it goes on, it says, and then, uh, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. It's kind of an awkward sentence, but it says, many followed both Jews and proselytes, that is, those who had converted to Judaism. You have two groups of, of Gentile believers. So you have uh, Jews who are born in as children of Abraham, and then you have people who convert to Judaism, and there's two, usually two groups. There are uh, the God-fearers, and the God-fearers respect the God of, of the Jews. They, they respect Yahweh, and they worship um, Yahweh, but the proselyte is the one who's actually gone through um, a conversion, all right? Um, and so these are the people, they, it breaks up, the, the synagogue meeting breaks up, and um, some are following Paul and Barnabas, and, and there's a little d- debate on this as to are they just following, like following behind them, but the way Luke uses the word follow, he seems to always use it as that these are like following their ways, like when Jesus says, follow me, he's saying not just walk behind me type thing, right? He's saying, 
engage yourself. You're going to become my disciple. So we might think that these people are converted, that these are believers. And what does he, what does Paul, what do Paul and Barnabas encourage these brand new believers to do? He, they encourage them to continue in light of what, to continue in the grace of God. So in light of what I just told you in, in verses 38 through 39, in, in all of that, continue. Do not return to a message of performance that will not justify you. Don't go back. The whole book of Hebrews is written for that. Don't go back to a system that does not justify you before a holy God. Don't go back there. Remain in the grace of God. Remain in the understanding that God has gifted you with his mercy and grace. So he, uh, con- they, continue, they, they encourage them co- to continue in this grace. And then we learn the very next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Almost the whole city gathers. The first thing that they gather is to hear the word of the Lord. And let me just um, comment real quickly that the gospel message is the word of the Lord. It is God's word. It is not a message then that um, it didn't originate with religiously clever individuals who devised a way of being right before God. The gospel, in fact, I would say the gospel is so anti-human, at least as far as origins are concerned, um, because really pretty much every single religion that's ever been developed tells you this. You, you can earn your way to God. Do this, do that, um, and you can earn your way to God. In other words, it exalts man. The gospel says you can't do it. God is going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. It, it, it kills our pride. What we studied in our Bible study this morning. The Bible says that before conversion, before being a Christian, we were slaves to our sin, that we were dead and by reason of our transgressions and sins. But God made us alive together with him. It was God who did this. This is the word of the Lord. It is not a clever message devised by, um, by people thinking, well, you know what, Let's, how can we make a couple bucks on the side? And uh, first of all, if so, they completely failed. So they gathered together to hear the word of the Lord. And so the very next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathers to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And so we get into the, this next point. Um, I have it as rejoicing in the Lord, in the word of the Lord. But here's the thing. The people don't originally rejoice. When the, the first response we see to the gospel message is not rejoicing, but rather what we see is opposition. And so we begin this section not with celebration, but with oppositions. And so it says that when the Jews saw the crowds, they were provoked or filled with jealousy and began to contradict and revile Paul. The crowds are gathered to hear how Gentiles, well, all men, but this is a Gentile city, but how all people can be right with God. 
It even includes that non-Jews can be right with God. They can be right with God by faith alone. And in fact, this is probably the significance of the conversion of Cornelius. It wasn't that a Gentile came in to the faith. That had been happening for years. You remember um, Rahab, right? She was a Gentile woman and she came to faith in, in God and she lived in the covenant community. We learn about Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth also believed God. And she was adopted in and accepted into the covenant community. Gentiles for centuries have been uh, accepted um, as part of the covenant community. Here's what's significant. What's significant here is that Gentiles are entering into a relationship with Christ, not on the basis of performing the works of the law, but on the basis of the merits of Christ alone. That's what's really happening here. That's what's so new here. And the people, uh, and people are saying, really? I can be accepted before God because God has done the work and if I believe that, then, that's, then I can be forgiven before God. And so a crowd is here and there are people that has provoked um, the leading Jewish people to jealousy. I like how Paul and Barnabas um, respond to this. So... You have this group, I don't know, kind of hecklers, I guess. Um, they're filled with jealousy and they contradict what was spoken of Paul reviling him. And notice how, what Paul, how Paul and Barnabas respond. And they spoke boldly. Man, I love that. In the face of verbal accusations and verbal um, revilings, they don't say, oh, well, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. No, we're going to speak boldly about the truth of the person of Jesus Christ. And what they say is easy just to to glance over and miss. But let's just slow down for a second and take a look at what Paul and Barnabas boldly speak. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Jesus said, um, I've come to uh, preach to the, um, to the lost sheep of Israel. Paul, in his, book to the, um, in his letter to the Romans, says that salvation comes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, and he says, it's necessary that the gospel came to you first. But now look what he says. But since you thrust it aside, thrust what aside? the saving message that Paul spoke, the word of the Lord, since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're now turning to the Gentiles. Stop for a moment and think about this. You have judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. On what basis is he saying this? He's saying this because you've rejected the word of the Lord. You've heard the word of the Lord. You reject it. And now you are responsible for for that rejection. You have determined that you are unworthy of eternal life. I pray that you are here, if you are here this day, today, and you've heard the gospel and you are not a believer, that you would follow after Christ and not re- judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. You are worthy of eternal life. Rejection of God's holy word is self-condemning. 
they are responsible for their own unbelief. They have repudiated the gospel. They blaspheme God, who is the author of the gospel, and proven that they are not heirs of eternal life. How have they blasphemed God? By rejecting His word. They've rejected the truth of God, and by rejecting it, that's calling God a liar, blasphemy against God, and they've judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. I pray that you are here today, that that is not true of anybody here today. And then they go on and they say this very interesting statement. For so the Lord, so he says, so behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, notice that little preposition there, he has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Okay, this is a really interesting statement. Because Paul here is quoting Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 is one of what has been called the servant songs in the book of Isaiah. I don't know if you've, all, if you've heard of the servant songs, but there are four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. By, by December 31st, all of y'all who are in this church will be very familiar with the four servant songs. I promise. Um, that's my Advent theme. Um, so you'll be very familiar with the four servant songs. In fact, Pastor Mark last week spoke from Isaiah 42, which is the first servant song. All right. So, and, and you're familiar with the last one, Isaiah chapter 53, where it says, We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, um, and that he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was, um, uh, by his stripes we are healed. You're all familiar, many of you, if you've been in church for, for very long, you've probably been familiar with that passage. That's the final servant song. All right, so now that I've described that, it's interesting that Paul and Barnabas are quoting the servant song and applying it to themselves. They're saying, for the Lord has commanded us, Paul and Barnabas and probably the whole missionary team, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. Because in the servant song, it's speaking of the Messiah. The servant songs are speaking of the Messiah who will come and bring salvation to not only the Jewish nation, but to the whole world. So, um, so the servant is going, God is going to raise up the servant. He's going to be a suffering servant and he's going to bring salvation to not only um, the Jewish nation, but to the entire world. And now Paul and Barnabas are taking that scripture and applying it to themselves, saying, he, God commanded us, I have made you a light to the nations. I don't know about you, that's kind of interesting to me. That gets me to start asking questions. Because the passage applies to the servant who is Christ. So what's surprising here is that Paul and Barnabas cast themselves into the role of the servant who takes the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. So they cast themselves into the role of the servant, the servant who is to take the gospel or the message of salvation to the edge of the earth. They are not saying that they are Christ. They are not saying that they are Jesus. They are not saying that they died for your sins and any of those things. That's not what they're saying. Paul and Barnabas understand that they are an extension of the work of the servant. That the task of Jesus is now accomplished through his servants. Let me just kind of clear. I know this is kind of complicated, so um, maybe I can clarify this. Y'all know, don't you, that Jesus' ministry didn't end with his ascension. 
Jesus didn't stop working when he ascended into heaven. Right? He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. Then he taught for about 40 days. And then he was ascended into heaven. And then the work of Jesus ended. Y'all know that's not true. That Jesus then continues his work. How does he continue his work? Through whom does he continue his work? He says, I'm going to fill you with my spirit and you're going to take my message. You're going to continue. My people, my church, my chosen people are going to take the message of salvation um, and do and continue my work. Paul and Barnabas understand this. That the work of Jesus is continuing. It didn't end when Jesus died. It continues on. We are now filled with Jesus. has filled us with his spirit. Jesus dwells in us and is now fulfilling his work through us, his missionaries. They understand that. That's a pretty awesome thought. So it is now the task of the servants of Jesus, empowered with the Holy Spirit of Jesus, to continue the work of Jesus. How? By taking the word of Jesus to the ends of the earth. I want you to understand also this. That the work of Jesus didn't end in Acts chapter 28. Oh, and by the way, the work of Christ didn't end in Acts chapter 28, which is the last chapter of Acts. That the work of Christ continues now through his people. And if we are his people, we are to extend and continue to carry on the work of Christ. Going, well, am I qualified? Yeah, because the Spirit of Christ is dwelling in you. He says, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send another helper, a comforter, um, just like me, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to enable you to do the things that I do. And you're going to take my gospel message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm equipping you to do that. The work of Christ doesn't end until Christ comes back. Paul and Barnabas get this. That's why they quote that verse saying, uh, applying or um, casting themselves into the role of the servant. Are you with me on that? Did you get that? Kind of, I know it's kind of, kind of complex, but I think if we unpack some of these complex things, um, I don't know, to me they're interesting, so I preach them because I, because I get interested in them. And I hope they're beneficial to you. Well, the response to that, they're saying, wait a second, You've judged yourselves unworthy of the gospel. We're going to go to the Gentiles. And what's the Gentile response? They rejoice. When they heard this, they rejoiced. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. They glorified the word of the Lord. And some who had been appointed to eternal life believed. This is one of those rather... Um, hotly debated passages of text, but I think it's pretty clear. Um, so you, you ready to get kind of theological? Is it okay to talk about theology in a church? Dang it, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter if you think it's, I'm going to talk about it. So, <laughs> But you all knew that anyways. If you're new here, maybe that's new to you, but we, we, we're going to talk about it. This is probably one of the, the clearest aspects, one of the clearest passages of text that, that talk about what we call unconditional election. Now, everybody, everybody who's a Christian believes in election. We, none of us really fully understand it. We all say, well, I don't really get it, but God somehow elects, and I don't know on what basis, whatever. In unconditional election, we say that God 
um, elects people to salvation unconditionally. In other words, there is no condition that a person must meet prior to his election. In other words, they don't have to be good enough. God doesn't say, oh, well, you're such a good person, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to choose you. Because, man, you're, just, you're so talented. And I need people of that great talent. Or I'm lacking something and you fill that up. God lacks nothing. All right? So there is no condition, not even foreseen faith. He doesn't say, oh, well, I see that you might accept me. God's election is um, unconditional. That is, I didn't do anything great by which God said, oh, man, that guy. No, in fact, we, one of the things we learned this morning I was dead by reason of my trespasses and sins. I was a slave to sin. Oh, and here's the thing. I loved my sin. I didn't think it was sin. I thought it was like, man, I'm having fun. I liked my life. I liked where I was. I liked where I was going. I was perfectly happy in the life that I was leading. I was in rebellion to Christ, and here's the frightening thing. I didn't know I was in rebellion to Christ. I thought I'm good. And I was not looking for God. I didn't go out saying, man, you know, my life is so empty or whatever. I need something to fulfill this void in my life. No, I, to me, I had no void in my life. Perfectly happy with where I was. And God interfered with all of that. God stepped in and showed me that He was the ruler and creator of all of the universe and that I was a sinner dead in my trespasses and that He would forgive me. And this guy who liked the way he was one day, literally one day, one moment, turned around and said, I don't like where I am. Is there any way to fix this? And God says, yes, by my son, Jesus Christ. I didn't have anything to offer him. I wasn't some talented, smart individual. I didn't have any great skills. I was just a punk kid with 50 black concert t-shirts. That's all I had. That's what I did. If God had mercy on me, it's God's doing. It's not contingent on any merit he might foresee in us. Ray Steadman very famously said this. Now, do, do, do not turn this around. The verse does not say, and as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. Paul began this message by showing them that God is active, trying to reach out to men. It is not men who are trying to find God. When men believe, they are simply responding to the activity of God who is already reaching out to them. This is an issue that is avoided by many um, and dodged by many, but I think it's clear in Scripture. And so I hard for us to avoid important scriptural passages. And I know it's a sticky issue and many, maybe even in this church, um, may not agree um, totally with uh, our view. I believe it is clearly, clearly pointed out in scripture. But then I run into another problem. See, when I read the Bible and I'm preparing a message, I ask a lot of questions. And sometimes those questions get me into, pro into trouble. But I'm asking questions, and I ask a question of this text. And, and one of the very common questions I ask is, why is this here? 
Why do I have this passage of text? Why did Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, put this here? Or maybe put it this way. Why did the Holy Spirit seem fit to have Luke put this here? He could have just said, and the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Stop. Go to 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading. That would make perfect sense to me. Why do we have this passage right here in the midst of this evangelistic message, this thing about, but as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. When they heard this, what did they hear? So here's how this probably, here's how this fits. I think it fits our context. That the ones who are believing, those as many as pointed to eternal life believe. Um, um, so who are these believers? They're the Gentiles. So here, this would make fit the book of Acts so perfectly if it is the Gentiles now who are appointed to eternal life. This is probably the first time, well, we have it in Cornelius as an example, but this is the first time in a direct message where we can say, you Gentiles aren't just coming in because God didn't, uh, didn't, you know, he got tired of the Jews or anything like that. No, you were appointed from the, before the foundation of the world. You Gentiles were part of God's plan. This was always part of God's plan. I know there's a whole theological system out there that thinks the Gentiles are kind of the plan B. That God, you know, dealt with the Jews. They rejected him, so God didn't know what to do. And he said, well, I don't know. There's still a whole bunch of other people who aren't Jews. How about if we see if they'll, be, they'll hear the message? See, that's not the point. The point is, is God has always been reaching to the Gentiles. Go back to Abraham, or even back to Abram, before he was Abraham. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And the whole book of Isaiah, I just read one of the servant songs. You are going to be a light to the nations, to the ends of the earth. Look at the book of Jonah. Where's jo- who's Jonah's target? Nineveh, the Assyrians. This was a vile, nasty, wicked, horrendous group of people. We could probably parallel Assyria with ISIS. Very close parallels. And God says, that's the people I want you to go save. And this is why Jonah says, no. You can send me anywhere. But not to them. God's like, they're the nations. I want them saved. You go. God has always been reaching to the nations. The promise of the Messiah is that he is going to bring salvation, not just to the Hebrew people. It's going to include them, but it's going to include... They were the appointed ones. This has always been God's plan. The book of Acts is talking about how God has fulfilled His plans and His purposes and His decrees in the person of Jesus Christ. And now those who were appointed to eternal life, they were always part of God's plan. So so what had they heard? They'd heard the gospel. They heard that salvation has now come to them, that they can be made right with God by the merits of Christ, not their own. They do not have to earn their way to God. They do not have to do the right things. They, they can be made right because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on faith alone, by Christ alone, on the mer- uh, by faith alone, through grace alone, on the merits of Christ alone, and they rejoice. Folks, 
maybe this is another one of those issues. Let's never grow weary of rejoicing in the grace of God that has come to us. Well, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Uh, that's really, the word of God spreads. This is one of the big themes in the book of Acts, if you've been with us. This is one of the big themes in the book of Acts, that the word just keeps going forth. Persecution, opposition comes, the word goes forth. Persecution, opposition comes, the word goes forth. There's always this internal and external threat to the gospel. This is why I've titled my the series, The Triumph of the Gospel, because it triumphs over every obstacle. There's internal obstacles. Um, we know that Ananias and Sapphira, and of course the choosing of the six, when there was a split between the, the, the distribution of, uh, of, of uh, provisions between the Hebrew and the, and the, uh, um, uh, the, the, the Hellenistic Jews, that would have caused a split in the church. And God triumphed. The gospel triumphs over that. Then we have persecution. We have people ridiculing um, Christians. We have people imprisoning Christians. We have Stephen being murdered because he's a Christian. And yet the gospel keeps going forth. And here there's opposition. But they preach the word and the Gentiles hear it. They rejoice that they can be saved by grace through faith. And they rejoice and the gospel goes forth. The word of the Lord goes forth. It cannot be constrained. And they were opposed. The word of the Lord was spreading. But the Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. And so... There's opposition to the Word of God. Don't be surprised if when you stand for Christ that there is opposition. But notice their response. But they shook the dust off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. In other words, we are undaunted. They were undaunted. They shook off the dust. This is the idea here. I put a bunch of references in your notes um, about where this uh, phrase comes from in the Bible. But really, it just signals the responsibility for an action is on, other, the other, on, on others. Um, it portrays leaving the defilement behind and moving on. In other words, no trace of their presence is left, not even on their feet. Here's one nice thing. So they shake off the dust of their feet, but don't think for a moment that they've given up on Galatia. The city in Antioch is in the region of Galatia because they go back and um, later on the second missionary journey to the regions of Galatia to continue preaching the gospel. Listen, blood be on your hand, but we're moving on to Iconium, but the grace of God compels him to go back and to continue sharing the gospel with them. Man, I'm glad people continued sharing the gospel with me because I didn't deserve it. And then our text ends with on such a joyful note. And the disciples, you know, the disciples who'd been reviled, who'd been persecuted, who'd been um, opposed, who... Um, who had been, uh, you know, degraded. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not sure that you can separate those two. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I would think you would be joyful. Under control, they are filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Under the control of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a source of joy. In fact, we learn that one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? That's the question to you. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is? Joy. Absolutely. So um, they are filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. After they had an an opportunity to share the gospel, there was some positive um, 
responses. I think some people got saved, but there was also some negative responses, and so they off they go to Iconium. We're going to talk about their mission to Iconium next week, so I'll uh, just close or conclude with just a few basic points, and then we can go about our day. First point, as we conclude, is that the gospel continues to be relevant to both believer and and unbeliever. So I pray that if if you're not a believer today, if you're not a uh, follower of Christ, that you would have heard the message of the gospel. I started with a message of the gospel. Remember Paul's sermon. I pray that you would hear that and that you would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. I pray that. But I also want you to know that if you've been a believer and you're a new believer, you've been a believer for decades or or decades, I was going to say, or even longer, but I don't know if we have anybody who's been centuries. So, um, But the gospel continues to be relevant to you and us. Let's remember how Christ has saved us. We also need to remember that the task is not complete. The task is not complete. We're commissioned. We're equipped. We're empowered for the gospel to spread to the ends of the earth. So let's keep taking the gospel um, to our neighbors, to our friends, in our households, to other communities, to other nations. We should also remember that opposition is inevitable. But remain bold. You can be bold because God has equipped you to do this. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's enabled you to do this. You got this. Well, I should let, let me uh, quote the song that we just learned today. Not I, but Christ in me. I'm not a bold person. But Christ in me. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Christ is equipping us to continue his work to the ends of the earth. And what a great joy. I hope that fills you with joy, fills you with the Holy Spirit, and that you're able to do the things that God has called you to do. If you would, let's stand and we'll pray as we... uh